All right, welcome everyone. Real Kipper and born but not real gunning. Very real gunning. <laughs> a, a fraudulent Nick Kiprios impression will be coming out of me, but the real Brent Gunning here. Uh, I love the, the suggestion for a name somebody dropped in last time in the YouTube comments because of my mustache. We won't say it again, but I loved it last time. Uh, so, so happy to be back with you guys. I wish we had Leafs playoffs. I got to be honest. Yeah. Haven't... Uh, haven't haven't stopped thinking about all that since. I wish we had that to break down, but very happy to uh, get into tons tons of hockey talk. For sure, we appreciate joining us. The uh, yeah the, the 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 aftermath of the Maple Leafs loss has been Nick, Sam, and I contorting relevant events <laughs> to be like, how does this affect the Leafs? Um, That's but, how I live the entirety of my life, <laughs> not even just analyzing the NHL. So I I, yeah. I would have fit in wonderfully there. Well, and actually, we, we I don't think we got to them last show, Sammy, but Sammy has compiled an entire list of Leaf fan L's that have taken place mm. since the uh, since the Leaf season ended. There's yeah. been a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, we want to get right into it here. Or I, <laughs> I, I had to pull it up. No, no, it's okay. We don't we don't need to go through the whole book. All right, Zach Hyman scored last night. Yep, there's a Leaf NL, although not really. Is it one? Does that qualify? What do you mean? Well, does it qualify as an L for the Leafs? Like, you weren't going to keep them. You weren't going to pay to it keep It just hurts. It's not, it's not an L as in, you made this terrible decision. How could you not have brought this guy back? But it's an L of, yes, grit and grind and heart and soul and scoring big playoff goals. Boy, yeah. could use a little bit of that around here. So. Yeah. Well, today, uh, we we don't have Nick Kipper, obviously, is uh, is he's at some important family function. I don't know how much we're at liberty to disclose. Nick's not here. I, I found out I found out I was doing this Monday, and it was get your butt in studio for Wednesday. So I, <laughs> yeah. I can't even uh, yeah. divulge. Right. And so uh, in, his, in his stead, we got Gunner. We're going to be joined by Shana Goldman, uh, Goldman, hockey writer at The Athletic, to fill us in on all things Rangers. Ryan Leslie. Uh, NHL host on Sportsnet and Hockey Night is going to join us and talk a little bit about the Flames and Peter Baugh, uh, Colorado Avalanche writer for The Athletic, going to be on in the last hour, fill us in on all things Avs. So uh, feels like, what's up, Sammy? <laughs> what's up? Feels like the most obvious place <laughs> to start uh, since not really a ton leafy to discuss no. is the Battle of Alberta. There was one thing, though, yes. that did strike me as a, <laughs> reminded me of the Leafs a little bit. Uh, Daryl Sutter last night after the the Flames lose, they go down three to one. All season long, he's talked about he's been really, I think, hard on his team at times, right? I mean, the this isn't this year. This is a couple of years ago. But the one that always sticks out to me was the Goudreau with his five hundredth game. Well, yeah. I hope it's better than four ninety nine. Like if there is ever <laughs> if there is ever a way to kind of stick the knife in a little, I think that he'll was last year. He said that. Yeah, yeah. last year. Yeah. Right. I think he said, I, w- "I hope he has more energy than yeah. game four ninety nine or something." Jesus, Daryl, <laughs> like leave the guy's moment here. Um, but after last game, I thought. I don't know if it's because of the pressure or what. He he was softer on his team. Do you, why don't we start doing yeah, the Sutter clips? We've got lots on the Battle of Alberta here. Um, here's a different-sounding Daryl Sutter to me after uh, the Flames lose in Game 4 on Resolve thought Resiliency. We, thought we showed a lot of what's the word, resolve or resilience. I think, you know, they score that empty net first minute of the game. And quite honestly, I thought we had a really good first period. And that's what I told him after the first was it's a winnable game for us for sure tonight. And and we damn near did. Moral victories from Daryl Sutter. Never thought I would see the day. Just incredible and dumb like a fox. He likes to play the <laughs> oh, I don't know. Resolve, resiliency. What other twenty five cent words you got hanging out? I know. There? I don't know. Maybe that says more about me that I'm impressed by those words. But, but truly I, that this stuck out to me too. Just like this guy plays that whole role and he really is thoughtful and has the the large words, but also 
I was always under the impression that he just came out there after games and said the first thing that fell out of his head. <laughs> but like that is, you know, he recognizes the point in the playoffs, I feel sure. like. And he's he's talking to his team a little bit about wasn't so bad, but like, yeah, finding a little bit of like positivity in a loss kind of that stood out to me. Well, I wonder how much of that and you'd never, ever get him to admit this, but I wonder how much of it is it's David versus Goliath. Like we, there is only one Connor McDavid in this league. We got the short straw or whatever you want to call it that we drew him in the second round and you can be hard on your team and you can ask them to be better and you can be critical and you can coach them. That's literally the job. Yeah. But at a certain point in time, you got to say, man, that guy's really big. And in this case, he's not big. He's, he's really, really fast. And it's yeah. Connor McDavid. And I think you do have to grade on a, a bit of a scale for that not say you roll over and expect to lose or anything along those lines but there is definitely a world where you say okay i cannot come out here and kill right. these guys especially bouncing back the way they did and and i thought that you know better a better job containing Connor mcdavid in game four even though he still gets two two points he always and, will yeah well that's we talked about the odds of him not getting a point was like plus 430 yeah. or something that's yeah. insane hundred dollar bet hundred dollars on a twenty dollar bet yeah but and I, you lost i thought they were on the right side of him last night yeah, like in in the first couple games, the first game in Edmonton specifically, they just couldn't be near him. Like no. he was just wriggling away from them at all times. They were never on the right side of him. And last night, I thought they were at least sort of trailing them the right way. They were kind of sending the help guy there. It's crazy they're playing help defense in hockey, but they yeah. really are. Like <laughs> it's like two guys on him at all times. And I thought they were good last night, but it's just he's just too good. He's too much man. He really Speaking is. Of, uh, you know, having Shana Goldman, I think the name of their podcast is too big. <laughs> no, but he is, it's like we talked about it a lot yesterday, and I will talk about it again today, but it's just, we're, <sighs> things that happen in the moment like this, you just have to really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm doing my best, and yeah. I know Gunner feels the same way I do about this sort of rivalry between Leaf fans and Oilers fans and this Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews thing. And it's, it's really hard to separate how I'm feeling about the Leafs and Matthews and the disappointment of the first round versus watching what's happening right now with Connor yeah. McDavid. And I'm doing my damn best <laughs> to enjoy it thoroughly. I really am. Yeah. I'm trying very hard. And so I can't say I'm rooting for them, but I'm not rooting against them, which I normally would be. That's as far as I can go. It's I think the other the other part of it, too, is that just when you're doing the Matthews and McDavid comparison, it was always, yes, Matthews is the better goal scorer. He's going to go and look, he went and scored 60. But McDavid obviously is the more complete offensive player. But the other side of it was always, well, look at all of what Matthews does. This guy isn't a selkie level player, but he's not all that far removed from kind of that level of two-way I know he's getting some votes for response. it this year. Okay, there yeah. we go. So maybe he's not that far <laughs> removed from it. But the the other side of that uh, the coin is that at a certain point in time, Connor McDavid can just do, and not even to, I'm literally not going to even talk about or acknowledge his defense because it kind of doesn't matter at this point, right. given what he's doing. He never plays defense. Well, it, he not not when he, plays like this. he doesn't yeah. need to. That's the thing. When you, when you so far exceed what you're able to give offensively, it, it kind of doesn't matter because as you said, don't have to play defense if you have the, the puck the yeah. whole game. I don't know that there's many times in your sporting career where you know you're watching the best of an athlete. Like Tiger in his prime, yep. what years where would that have been? Where like oh three, oh three to yeah. six, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Like where you're just like, he won half the golf tournaments mm -hmm. he played in, and you knew when you were watching it was not a fair fight. You know, like great, guy, yeah. you know, guys that are tied with them. It's like Bob May and Rocco <laughs> Media, and you're like that guy's gonna lose <laughs> for sure. That's how it feels with McDavid, where it's like I know that this is the pinnacle of a Mount Rushmore player of our game. And so, yeah, I'm with Sam where it's like, 
you know, trying to appreciate that. I, I'm having a less hard time from a leaf perspective. Mm-hmm. Just in, I, I guess I haven't, I've been, I haven't been an Oilers fan yeah. in my life. You no. know, like I've been an Islanders guy. So like embracing the Connor McDavid factor of it has been been absolutely wild. Should we listen to coaches on him? I, yeah, I would, lo- I would love to hear Sutter talk about him because it's really good. All right, let's have that. You know, I said this morning everybody's questioning about defense or all that stuff. Well, there's you're playing against that. That's that's a totally different animal, right? That player. So you gotta manage when you're on the ice better and recognize when you're out there. There's times we did it. There's hey, there's times where you're not gonna how are you gonna you're not gonna shut him down. So even even with your couldn't so uh the goal the little star wipe yeah, on that like clip that. There. Yeah, good <laughs> editing by me um I, I saw a great in our youtube chat uh this is a soccer comparison i know gunner's gonna love this one mm. better be good matthews is ronaldo and mcdavid is messy and i actually love that cross i i think that's an excellent cross board comparison in is terms ronaldo of two guys well-rounded He's more of a offensive. He's more of a scorer, I would yeah. say, and I think Messi is more of a sort of distributor and kind of controls the game from that part of the mm-hmm. midfield or whatever. But I think that's an interesting comparison, and people that are, you know, my my brethren on Saint Clair will love that comparison. I'm sure. Yeah, it's- I can't. I cannot confirm or deny uh, what's being said there. But I think. I think the 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 Derek's point- shaking his head. The, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, well, so there's terrible comparison. He's a, he's Maybe a your brethren guy. on terrible Saint Clair are really not liking this at all. Terrible uh, comparison. <laughs> But I think the thing is, is that this is what you do when you have guys. And again, it's like, I don't, uh, much to what McKee was saying there, I don't know that we can keep doing the, well, they're in the same boat. They're both, no. Connor McDavid, what he is doing right now is just on a completely different planet. And I love what Sutter said there about, it's just, it's a different animal. It's a different species, whatever you want to say. There are players in the league. And again, Austin Matthews is the best version of that guy. There are guys who play like that. Again, not to the same level, but... Nobody plays the game the way. And again, I I don't even want to do the comparing him against Crosby or whatever. But when Crosby was going and he was going, man, Mm -hmm. some of the seasons he had, I don't think we wholly give him credit for them. Tough scoring yes, Crosby's prime. But the thing about it was, was you'd seen players like him before. He's the best version of that. But you'd seen amazing two-way guys who grind. We have not seen this. I mean, there yeah. again, there have been other unicorns that do it differently. We've never seen somebody like this. No, I think that's fair. I, I like the idea that Crosby was the best at what we had seen, and this is something like what we haven't seen before. The goal in your life is to do something where the opposition, well, in sports, where the op- opposition just goes, well, they're going to do that. Yeah. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I can't do anything. I have an article out today on sportsnet.ca about um, how McDavid makes the Oilers better when he's not on the ice. Mm. And all the different ways, and, and it's not about leadership or anything like that. That's it's what a, I would have wrote. Me, it, me not being as uh, as plugged in as you would have been like, well, he a, just wills them to victory, right. obviously. But he takes up the coaching oxygen. So, like, when a game ends, game one ends, the Flames have 45 hours. I think right. it's two days minus the time of the game. 45 hours till the next game. They have to watch all that video. They got to sleep twice, eat six meals, and have the video ready to the guys. So you only have so much time to go through the video. And McDavid takes so much of your effort That's and energy that a coaching staff wouldn't have time to pick through the neutral zone forecheck or the you know lost draws in the defensive zone or like something would not get attention because McDavid needs so much. So it strengthens the ability of everyone else to, to be decent. And like you said, and we kind of chatted about this yesterday briefly, but like even in-game, 
you're think that's all you're thinking about. Like you talk yeah. about like the pregame stuff and leading up to the game, but all you're thinking about is when he's on the ice. You're like, oh my god, how do we stop this? And when he's not on the ice, you're thinking. When the hell is he coming back on the Well, ice? and when he's not on the ice, you're also thinking, okay. You're pressing, th- I'd imagine. Well, but you're also like, this line is fresh and I want them to go next. But I need these guys for when McDavid's out there. So I have to put someone else out. Like, y- your bench changes, you know, because. So he's just, he's controlling the game. And, you know, Kipper and I were saying yesterday yeah, yeah. that in basketball, you can give the ball to the best player. Yep. He can have it. You know, every offensive possession, 48 minutes. I know that's rare, but it's possible. Um and in hockey, you just can't. But McDavid has such influence right now that he's affecting everything. Calgary just, you know, and Sutter pointed out that they got four inexperienced defensemen. That never came up till they were trying to contain right. Connor McDavid, you know? Well, and the other, the other thing about it, too, in terms of you're right, you're saying, oh, I can't use this line here because I'm going to need them two shifts from now because of McDavid. But then the other part of it is you feel like, and again, you're always trying to win your minutes. I get it. But you really have to win the non-McDavid minutes. You, again, he'll never admit it. You never say it. But you assume, okay, we're going to get outscored, what, two, three, nothing right. in those McDavid minutes? How do we go out and effectively tie the game from there on out? Like, I, that's, I honestly hadn't thought about that part of it. That's it, really interesting. It's wild, too, that, you know, this guy is so, we know he's so good, but then some of the criticisms about defense hasn't mattered or mm-hmm. whatever. In 11 playoff games, he's plus 17. That's pretty good. The, his line mates are plus 9 and plus 5. I don't even know how much more he's getting out there to do what he does. That's absurd. But well, because, again, because you always think of, and not that he doesn't score at 5-on-5, five five, but you think, man, how red hot has that Oilers power play been right. forever? And clearly, based on the plus-minus plus, numbers, yeah. it's not just that. Well, I, I the plus-minus, people will really get down on it and i agree well, but we'll the call high, it goals for differential but, but the high but the, <laughs> they'll, they'll be okay with that the high like if you're around even i think it's not telling at all no nope. but right. if like the very high end and the very low end are yeah. incredible remember when nick lindstrom was in his prize he was like plus 80 oh, every yeah. year it's like Chris yeah. Parker's yeah career plus oh, money those is like are plus some of 600 those are something. some of my favorites is going back <laughs> to look at the true defensive stalwarts yeah. of any given era and just it's in the hundreds and yeah. hundreds it's and th- insane and then you talk about like rasmus Dahlin as a rookie's minus 40 or 50 yeah. and it's like well he's a you know you can't test <laughs> plus minus and it's a like, at a certain point <laughs> no like you said if you're if you are dominating it in a positive way obviously it means something and if yeah. you're on the master's leaderboard every year you don't want that <laughs> not ideal that. either so that game last night swings for a moment on one of the most well actually Two of the most bizarre goals. I, I shouldn't put them in the so, same boat. One of the Markstrom's most bizarre so goals. So happy about that, by the way, because yeah. again, like that's a really bad one. Like we're kind of we're kind of just skating past it because oh well, was it a weird was it a weird yeah. bounce off the dash? No, we can't let him off the hook. But right. nowhere near as bad as uh, Smith. Yeah, Mike Smith gives up a goal in the air. For an unbad, usually it's like a bounce, right? Like I remember Al McKinnis used to shoot it off the toes to skip one in there. Just a clean slapper from the other end of the rink beats Mike Smith. Yeah, that was one of the most shocking moments I've had watching hockey in a really long time. Well, Where, in uh, Cuthbert was like because it's late. Listen, listen, it's late. These games are late. Like I'm, I, I'm not a burn the midnight oil guy anymore. I used to love late night hockey when I was younger. Yeah. I'd be like, oh my god, I, get to, I love it. I was, you know. I was a little delirious. I was delirious a little bit. Like I was kind of like I was watching. I was locked in, but you know, What's your eyes. Been happening. My here? eyes are heavy, and like he just wrists it, and then he puts his arms up. I'm like, what happened? My volume was low. I didn't want to wake up. It was like, oh my god, that went in. I literally said no effing way to myself. And what a pivotal time in the game. Like the Oilers are up three nothing. The the Flames get a couple and crawl back in, and that ties it at three. Like that's an opportunity 
for a hockey team to just lay down. Oh, it's so easy to co- I mean, it's all we ever talk about with the Leafs going bad. And, oh, there, look, we did it. How does this relate Leaf show, to, buddy, to the Leafs? This is the show where you're allowed to bring everything I mean, back. I, again, it's like I do it with my life. I'm like grocery shopping, and I'm like, uh, I'm feeling a little underwhelmed by this. Oh, where have I felt that feeling before? <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean... In terms of that, I mean, we saw it a few times where, be it Mrazek let the bad goal in, or, I mean, we can go back with this team a few years to the Enroth era or things like that where a bad goal just cratered him, just sinks them. And it was, you had every chance in the world to lie down there when that happens. And the fact that they didn't, I, I mean, again, I think it it does say a little something about them. Now, again, how much of that is it? Is it easy to have the resolve and the belief when you're sitting there and you're... You're looking at the best player on the planet next to you. It probably helps you out a little bit there going, okay, well, we can we can always spot him one because yeah. he's going to get us at least that. And it's just, it, it's amazing that it didn't crater them, quite and honestly. Even though they don't win game one, I think it said a lot about this team that the Flames got up as much as they did and the Oilers found their way mm-hmm. back. Like this team has really shown some resolve mm-hmm. and resilience in the face of, uh, you know, chances to lay down. We got a good quote from uh, Woodcroft on that. Let's play the Woodcroft uh, on the Smith goal. Yeah, I, you know, I've been really impressed with our group's um, ability to handle adversity. Um, our guys were saying the right things on the bench. There was calm, there was composure, and we knew we just had to uh, continue to do the things that lead to success. And for us, it was making sure we had the right people on the ice at the right time. Um, you know, there was a period in the game where we thought we stopped shooting the puck. I thought um, after that goal went in, we we put our nose back to the grindstone and found a way to, to get the winning goal. So I was happy for our group. He's got a bit of Keith in him. <laughs> in Talks a lot. Talks yeah. a lot, and he's very, like, very thoughtful and, like, well, yeah. he really listens and, and, and gives a long, thoughtful answer. He talked for 11 minutes after the game last night. That's very Keefe-like. I that is do, a lot. I do feel like there's a evolution of coaches where uh, old-school coaches had the old uh, treat-the-media-like-mushrooms mentality, mm-hmm. you know? Feed them poop and keep them in the dark. There you go. And uh, and these younger guys are more prone to being like, here was our process on this. And Here, let me thoroughly <laughs> explain this to you and look you in the eye and yeah. call you by your name. And maybe the knives so, will be out a little less. I'm not sure which I prefer, to yeah. be honest. So I just want to live in the world one second in the alternate universe that the Oilers don't win that game. And oh. this game is now going back. The Mike Smith game? It's now going back to Calgary 2-2. Like, where does that rank on the all-time bad ones? It would be right up there with any of the gaffes in oh, the history of the league. Do we ever talk about that goal again? I mean, outside no, of being no. like, yeah, he gave up a long one. Yeah, but. No. Well, the, the only way it happens is if he, uh, if this Smith eventually has the meltdown and blows mm-hmm. it. You say, ah, we saw it coming. We saw shades <laughs> yeah, of this many moons ago, but you're but right. But, like, you know, they shot another one through Smith last night, too. The second one, I, you know, kind of trickles under his yeah, arm. Like, you know, there's, there's... Smith has that well, in them where I don't know how comfortable you can be at any time, but I've long felt that way. But it's again, it's this is the whole thing about goaltending is and look like there are people who break it down and analyze it and do a, a great job of it. You, of course, can analyze and understand goalies better. Of course, I am not saying it is nothing but throwing darts at the wall. But at a certain point in time, 40 year old Mike Smith is just going to get hot for a couple weeks. And you saw that. But the guy we've seen, I mean, this has been the whole story of his time in Edmonton, has it not? Oh, look at this. Mike Smith, look how he's playing. Look at the look at what you're getting out of him. Look at, oh, and then the, the two-week spell happens. And this has always been the thing. I mean, again, oh, look, I'm going to do it. Going back to the Leafs, that was always the thing with Freddie. Yeah. He's going to be rolling, but he's going to have his two-week spell 
where it just doesn't happen. And right. it kind of felt like that's what happened. Uh, that That's it, where I'm at with Smith right now. He'll jump in front of a shot across the net, make an unbelievable save, and then he'll let one in from yeah. his own end. He's the absolute wild card. Oh, it's, it'd be a nightmare for me personally. Before we get to uh, Shana, can we listen to Daryl Sutter on the Mike Smith? Oh, goal? yes. We got to Absolutely can. Well, they got they got one. We got one. So it's two two. <laughs> a little that's, different. You know, that's the way the game is. It's funny when it rat, that's that when that shot was taken. I said, you know, I think that puck could go in the net. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> that's like that's funny. Have you ever seen one like that? I can't remember. I was trying, probably in Chicago Stadium through the smoke or the something. <laughs> <laughs> so like, why is Daryl Sutter having a great old time after that game? Because he's just like, I'm going back to the farm. He doesn't, like, listen, this guy's won the one cops. He's rich. He doesn't feel the pressure. I, I really don't think he cares. Do you think he actually saw that shot and thought, I think that could go in? Yeah, I, think, I, 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 I too. do too. I, for sure. That, think about how much, I mean, like, and you've seen a lot of hockey in your day. How much hockey has Daryl Sutter watched in his life? That's right. not the first time he's seen that. He's he's probably not joking about seeing it through the smoke in the Chicago stadium. And just like making you know, stadiums just, in hockey. Think about how long ago that had to be. This stadium. is completely off the rails, but I was quizzing myself the other day. I couldn't figure out why, why are any arenas called gardens? Did you know? Do we know the, I got I believe the words etymology? Entomology? Anyway. I, w- I wish it was the... Uh, the Scotiabank Gardens. That would be great. Well, but why was it ever gardens at Leaside Gardens in town? I don't Maple know. Leaf, I got, Boston. I, I don't have an answer for you. Did they used to plant I was flowers. Gord, I was Gord Stellick, I might, but I uh, I don't have one for you. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to <laughs> do some digging. I don't know. We should. SN so, Stats is good at like stats, but I don't know that they can. I don't think, they have I don't a think we have SN history. No. I don't think we have that. We should get that. Man. So the other game last night, the New York Rangers uh, win four to one. They, they take it back from the Carolina Hurricanes. Even the series at two games to two. Uh, Carolina has now lost every single road game. What is going on? I don't know is the answer to that question. <laughs> um, we fortunately are going to get uh, Shana Goldman in just a minute to walk us through the, the Ranger side of thing in that series in, in particular. But um, what did you think of the Truba and Max Domi hit that, you know, led to a power play that kind of started the, to change the tide of the game? Look, Max Domi fell down. A Truba, Truba will never, ever let up on a hit. If he has a chance to crack somebody, especially at this time of year, he's going to do it. He's a bigger player than Domi to begin with. Domi fell down as he was engaged in the hit. It, it's terrible. I know the league doesn't want that, but there was nothing wrong with it from in terms of what Truba did, in my opinion. Well, perfect. We can get more on this from Shayna Goldman, who joins us now, hockey writer at The Athletic here at Sportsnet, Sports Logic. You're all over the place. Shayna, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We were just getting into the uh, Rangers and Carolina series. I know you uh, pay a ton of attention to the uh, the New York Rangers so, uh, throughout the season. Now tied up at two games to two. What, what are your thoughts on the series so far with Carolina and, and how they've come to be knotted up? So I think the biggest thing is it's surprising how well the Rangers are keeping pace with the Hurricanes because the Hurricanes are trying to play their game, and I think that they have another level that maybe New York can't keep up with. But so far, the fact that they're managing to keep pace as well as they are and protecting the quality areas of the ice uh, through at least games one, two, and four, you know, minus some shortcomings, you know, to complete the 60 minutes, they still have to work on that. But I think that's the uh, the biggest part of it so far. And goaltending, obviously, they have to back them up. 
Yeah, I mean, the goaltending, I mean, there was the little blip in the first round there, but I think this was the guy we we kind of all expected to see. You know, we were talking a little bit about the, the Hurricanes and that they've yet to win a game on the road in the playoffs. And, you know, for me, the first place my mind goes to with that is matchups. Is there something the Rangers are gaining matchup-wise by being at home and having last change? Like, is there a is there a line that they're able really to roll out against top competition, or is it a deep pair they trust more than others? Like, do you think it's something with matchups that are, that are leading uh, the Hurricanes to struggle so much against the Rangers in this round, or at least on the road, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, my brain goes exactly to the same place. You would think it's matchup-based. And for the Rangers, they don't have as many options up front to match up against their opponents. They have two good scoring lines, but their shutdown line usually falls on Mika Zibanejad's line. He's the player they trust to handle it, and rightfully so. And in round one, we really saw that crush him against Sidney Crosby, uh, Crosby line. So in this series, it's interesting. When it was in Carolina, they had Jordan Stahl against Mika Zibanejad's line. And then the Ajo line could take on Panarin, and Jacob Slavin could be paired up against Panarin as well. And that line hasn't been clicking as well. So being able to shut down the Zibanejad line is a huge advantage for Carolina. And now that it's back in New York, you know, Zibanejad last night, he played a lot against Ajo's line instead of being shut down by the Stahl line. And that's definitely helping them play to their strengths too. The other thing is for defense pairs, Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren are the two that generally play against top competition. And when they lost Lindgren in round one, that completely hurt their matchup game because their options were Fox and Justin Braun, an inbound pairing, uh, Patrick Nemeth and Braden Schneider, a pair they definitely don't trust in those situations. So it fell on Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba, who can handle some tougher minutes, but it, I think that was out of their depth going against Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, and Sidney Crosby. So now that they're healthier, I think that's going to help them, you know, have two defense pairs they can rely on a lot more. So they can pair Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren up against whoever they want and not be struggling as much as they were. Yeah, there's a Sheena goes more into this too. We got an article up right now on Sportsnet. Uh, New York holding pace better than expected. Um, a good read on on where the series is at. And I also forgot to mention that you are the co-host of uh, Too Many Men, which you guys just got picked up by what the Levitard Network. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we were doing it on our own, but now we're teamed up with them, so we're doing it a lot more frequently. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. It's a fantastic podcast, um, and we're pleased to have you today. I, I wanted to get uh, a little bit more on the, the the animosity in this series and your thoughts on how much how much that has played into things. You see, like, Galantz going at uh, D'Angelo on oh, the yeah. other side. Like, it's a, there's a lot of intensity in this series. It feels like that's shifted sort of the, the shape of the play, has it not? Yeah, a little bit. And I think the thing was that game three, they could have just let things settle at the end. That was that. But it did carry over into game four. And the Rangers let it roll off them better than I think the Hurricanes did. And you saw that at the end of the game, too, come to fruition, or even the hit on Domi. The Rangers don't, as physical as they are, and they have, like, up there hitting, and they can seem like the super tough opponent, it's not like they're racking up fights all the time or anything like that. So if they can play with their strengths and get in their opponent's heads, but then not necessarily act on it unless they need to, that's, you know, for the better. If they were to have done anything, it would have looked premeditated or anything like that. And I know some point to the Truba hit, which I don't think was the case. I don't think that was a premeditated hit on Domi or anything like that. Um, but it, it's it's interesting. Like, Ryan Reeves, if you take him off the ice for five minutes, that really doesn't hurt the Rangers. If the Hurricanes lose Tony D'Angelo, it does. So it's all about managing that, and that's something that I think he still needs to work on. You saw a lot the last round. Brad Marchand is one of the best at knowing how to get players off their game by 
by being a pest, and he knows how to do that, and he was able to get D'Angelo off of his game completely in one of those games in Boston. So if the Rangers do that, it, it only helps them, but you know, it's definitely on both teams to make sure they hone that as much as possible and know how to channel it the right way. No, de- definitely. And man, you know, you, you look at the way the Rangers are handling all this now and it's for me, at least it's impossible not to go back to the end of the season. What two years ago with, with Wilson and Panarin and they felt it was clearly something they had to address. And it's as easy to point at Ryan Reeves and say, there, we addressed it, but it, it can't just come from him. And I don't think it has. And, you know, I'm not talking about this player in terms of him being, you know, really fighting or being nasty, but I think it's a guy who's been super engaged and it's Alexi Lafreniere. You know, this is a guy who number one overall, pick we think he's going to have this amazing hot jump start to his nhl career and it just doesn't really happen for him but he to me feels like the poster boy of somebody that it is amazing how much a player can be changed by having just a little bit of team success early in their career and getting deeper into the playoffs like it feels like lafreniere is having this other side almost pulled out of him by just being in the playoffs this long and and winning around and it feels to me like it's just kind of proof positive of why it's so important for young players to experience of course personal success but team success early in their career yeah so two things there with the incident with wilson i think it's so tough because i do think the rangers were overreactionary in how they tried to get tougher and it's more about having bite throughout your lineup and knowing how to be tough to play against and i think the tough thing with that situation too was it was on the power play you know ryan lingram was out of the lineup and jacob trubo was and if i remember correctly so was chris crater so they're players that you would expect to be able to go toe-to-toe a little bit more you know whether it's fighting or just being physical throughout the rest of the game they weren't there but with Lafreniere, he does have a little bit of bite to his game, which I'm sure is something Gerard Gallant likes. It seems to be something he likes to see in his players. But overall, this was a player that his usage has been really tricky. He got third-line minutes last year and minimal power play time. So it wasn't entirely surprising that he didn't break out when he didn't have, you know, in your rookie season, you hope to have quality teammates around a player that's so important to elevate their game. And this year, there was a big difference when he did play with Kreider and Zvanajad. And he did play the right on the right, which is his offside. So... He made progress and then did bounce back to the third line and still had, you know, little to no power play time. So I think that would have gotten him a little bit more confidence. But in the second half of the year, when they were more willing to put him back with Kreider and Zibanejad, I think that benefited his game a ton. He had a lot more confidence going into the postseason. And now, you know, the kid line, as they call it, like they're clicking and they're getting these scoring opportunities. So that's, that's so helpful for their development. They're getting this experience now. How has this Rangers team changed over the course of the season? I, I just look back to the trade deadline and remember the whole thing was like, well, this team, you know, gets pumped at five on five, but they have great goaltending. And then that not, became not the case anymore. What has that evolution consisted of? How have they made that change? So they've definitely had a lot of struggles at five on five throughout the season. And after the deadline, they addressed the team the right way by adding players like Andrew Kopp, who could be a two-way force with Artemi Panarin, something that line was missing. And they were trying to fit players that just didn't fit the role enough in that position, thinking they could bring, you know, defense without addressing the offensive side of the game, which a player who played alongside him still has to have. Uh, Frank Petrano brought in scoring depth and Tyler Mott is just a good disruptor. So those were all things they needed to address and Justin Braun on the back end to now play over Patrick Nemeth. And so after the deadline, they did work on their defense a lot more. This was a team that was, you know, in the bottom five, allowing rush chances against a five on five, they just had the goaltending to mask any deficiencies in front of them. So they worked on their structure and that certainly helped until round one when it fell apart. And now this year's we're seeing it back together the way it should be. Offensively, they did make some improvements at generating even strength offense, but 
in round one, they got worked. You know, post-deadline, it was better, but it still wasn't great. So it's still an area they have to work on moving forward. And I think that it's, you know, a matter of having the players in place, which now they have better than they did before, getting those players to execute, and then ensuring the systems are in place and all the tactics that these players are asked to follow clicks with their playing styles as well. No, obviously all that's that's really important. You know, a guy you mentioned in the answer there, Chris Kreider, uh, he got a ton of love this year. He scored 50 goals. Anytime you do that, you're going to get noticed. But I still think, and, you know, maybe, hey, maybe I'm just talking about myself here and I need to smarten up. But I still think a lot of people think of him as, yeah, all his goals come from eight inches in front of the net, and that's what he is. He's a power forward. He can stand there and he can't be moved. You know, he made a great pass to to set up a goal last night. He's a little more of a slick player than I think I would have expected, you know, really kind of drilling in and watching him now in, in this second round. Do you feel like people give Kreider enough respect, not for being the goal scorer he is, but being a little bit more than just a guy who parks himself in front and and tips and bangs home rebounds? I think he does deserve more credit for that. It's something, it's easy to look at his goals and look at the highlight reels and see the power play goals. And so many of them were in that net front role, which makes sense. Like this year's power play was generating a higher rate of shots than years past. So he was able to benefit from that by redirecting them in front. But that is just one aspect of his game. You know, this is a power forward who has great straight line speed and can streak down the wing and, you know, shoot from the circles or get in front as well. You know, he has the skill. He's more of a shooter than a passer, but I do think that when he gets those passes off, they are often like sneaky good passes that, you know, we do it more, absolutely. But it's something that is a it was a really good skill of his game. And the years, the last couple of years where it's Mika Zibanejad as the primary scorer, that passing would get highlighted a little bit more. And this year, Zibanejad took on the role of being more of a passer than only a shooter. And now you can see how Kreider's benefited from that. Uh, Shana, how have you um, assessed the the play of the the top guys on the Rangers? You know, we, we saw Florida's top guys not produce, and they fell short. The Leafs guys were the story throughout the whole series. Can Matthews and Marner be better this year? Um, the the Panarin, Fox, Zabinajad, how have those guys performed in the postseason so far? So Zabinajad, I think, was focusing a little bit too much on defense in round one, and how can you not when you're going against Sidney Crosby? And I think maybe had he had a little more defensive support on his line alongside Kreider, like maybe if they had a cop or a Mott, you know, earlier and not just in the dying moments of game six and seven, he could have focused a little bit more on transitioning to offense instead of playing down low as often as he did. Um, but I think that he has picked it up this series in particular, and you know, not facing a right-catching goalie has helped him on the power play as well, and uh, I'm sure everyone can point to Kreider and Zibanejad as the players who need to do more, and there's definitely reason to believe that they do. I think that they're picking up now, but uh, it's Artemi Panarin's game. Who the, his game throughout the regular season, you know, he would flip the game on its head in seconds, and he would put points up, which is great and wonderful. But he didn't have as many underlying numbers that supported how well he was showing up on the score sheet. Around the deadline, that changed. I do think adding Cop was a game changer for him, but in the playoffs. You know, maybe it's a matter of being more conservative. He did say that, you know, the coaches asked him not to do as many things at the blue line that maybe he would have wanted to do. And yes. in my, you know, my opinion, and I'm not a coach, I'm not a former player, but I would think that you want your best player to play to his strengths and see what he can do. And if there were mistakes, then you deal with it instead of being so, you know, secure and safe from the start. I think he's someone that needs to be a little flashier. But I think last night was one of his better games. You could see on the power play there was a little bit more willingness for him to take a shot, which then got the penalty killers drifting closer to him instead of only staying on Zibanejad because they expect him to be the passer when he's on the right. So it's things like that. If he can be a little bit more elusive with the puck and a little bit you know, more deceiving of what he's going to do, 
then he'll be playing to his strengths without necessarily taking as many risks. And Adam Fox, Adam Fox was, you know, scoring on the power play in round one, and that was great for the team when they were getting shots from the point as well. But you could see him struggle when he was playing alongside Justin Braun. And now that he has lingering back, it's not that he needs a defensive support. He's a very good two-way player, and I think sometimes his defensive strengths don't get highlighted enough because we think of him for his offense. But to have the two of them together is really what the team needs. And last night was one of their best games, you know, Shots were pretty even while they were on the ice, but you could see how hard it was for Carolina to get to the quality areas when it was the two of them on the ice together. And he's so smart with his positioning and his stick, and that's what makes his game click. So if the Rangers see more of that moving forward from their top guys, they're in a lot, you know really good shape. Yeah, really good shape and a chance to uh, to take down the Carolina Hurricanes and go on a little bit of a run here. So we, uh, we really appreciate all your insights. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Shana. Thanks for having me. Uh, Shana Goldman, uh, too many men or too many men podcast with uh, Sarah Sivian and uh, Allison Lucan, I believe it's very, very, very good uh, podcast. So congrats on all their success. Um, by the way, I, while we were having that chat, very informative on the New York Rangers, we learned about where Garden comes I from. I saw this. I did really. See this. Yes. yes, it ultimately stems. So yeah, the Boston Gardens, all the gardens. It ultimately stems from the Latin word "gird" or "guard." Uh, reports word sense. This word means broadly open space. It lends itself to two keywords in English, garden and yard. So calling a huge arena with a high ceiling a garden makes sense in the classical use of the term. Look at you. I love that. Thank you to at one ripple RD who shared that with me on, on Twitter. I really there are so many people dying to answer this question because I'll, I'll be honest, I typed it into Google uh, and I found... Isn't it a similar I, answer? It's the same, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's from it's from sportscasting.com, which feels very fitting for me to have found it there, but it is amazing <laughs> that it is just... Isn't this the, your degree? It is the exact same, like, generic article of I saw the Gurdan and all, all that yeah. as well. So, yeah, there, there you go. One person looked into this once and wrote one article yep. on it. Now every second person is like, we don't need to do no. another article. Are they right who knows (laughs) who cares we have that an answer that's really all we needed was just just something approaching an answer yeah anyway very 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 interesting stuff uh justin thomas committed to the canadian open hey amazing that is awesome that's great news world number one scotty scheffler gonna be okay i won't do the whole thing between shana saying justin braun a lot and me thinking i was playing d for the rangers and then the (laughs) justin thomas which is two of my three names i'm really feeling involved in these things at least no one called you jason that's true well it happens we haven't had we haven't had mac on i know that's why i had to get it in there yeah jim benning was that what he called you what's that you said jim benning what i was so I've never been more confused in my life than when that <laughs> happened to me. You got the ing right anyway. I, I, a couple of ends again. Like if if it came with the salary, I'd I'd be happy yeah. uh, to do that. There you <laughs> what go. about the hair? The vampire mm. hair? Yeah. I mean, again, salary. Yeah. Whatever I would, that hair color is is not naturally occurring in nature. No. Whatever Jim has going on, that's all I got to say. Uh, um, I'd also like to add that the Jason Bourne thing happens to me at least once a day. At least once a day. It is when I first got a job here at Sportsnet in wardrobe, that was written above my clothing was Jason Bourne. Your first job was in wardrobe? Well, no, my, <laughs> first, my first job here <laughs> when He's, I was at wardrobe. Yeah, yes. we, we all played a round of golf together last year, and the uh, the wonderful gentleman, John Cavan, uh, he kept calling you Jason Bourne so much that to the point where I, I believe it's my I name. Was ge- <laughs> I had to be like, Am I wrong? Is it? Well, hold on. I was about to, because we're riding. Justin, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I was about to turn to you and just be like, wait, what is your name? Because it's amazing. 
Anyway. Without fail. Yes. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Happy Shane. Happy we Golden. got that in. Happy <laughs> we got to talk about Jason Bourne a little today. Yes, for sure. Happy uh, to get to talk to Shana Goldman as well. That was great. Uh, when we get back after the break, we'll be joined by Ryan Leslie to talk about the Battle of Alberta. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I'm so used to hearing Kiprios lead us in and out. I don't even know how long he lets that music play for. It could be like a minute. I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, Welcome to Real Gunning. And me. And you. (laughs) Justin Bourne, Brent Gunning. Yeah, we're we're still developing that one when we're together. Um, uh, Nice to be joined by Shana Goldman before. Up now or in a sec here. Anyway, we're going to get Ryan Leslie to talk the Battle of Alberta. Um, And I'll have just 100 questions about Daryl Sutter and what uh, what it's like. What's that like? Asking that man questions who clearly has no regard for the feelings of anyone answering the questions. No, none whatsoever. And there was a guy who used to be here who... uh, Carried himself similarly, but not, if that makes any sense. Like, that's that's yeah. honestly the most, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I think. Uh, that's awesome. Leslie's there. I was, sorry, I was just talking to him about Owen Sound, so he's uh, there now. Oh, important <laughs> things, important things. Well, uh, Ryan, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Boys, I'm I'm great. I'm back in Cowtown, got out of Edmonton safe, and Good. that's really all that matters this time of year. No, of course, of course. I mean, what a awesome fascinating series uh you're you're covering right now i i'm just gonna kind of go with a blanket question to start what do you think what what's what are your takeaways at uh down three one of the edmonton oilers so far well probably like you and others uh you know in every market are discovering and witnessing and enjoying is that regardless of who your rooting interest is for the team player who you cover you know the conversations you have we are witnessing greatness. Right. And make no mistake about it. And I don't care who you are loyal to. If it was Gretzky or Lemieux, if it was Orr or Howe, if it was Lafleur or Bossy, we are witnessing, for my money, the greatest, most dangerous player with the puck in the history of the National Hockey League. And I'm not talking about anybody other than Connor McDavid. The guy is unbelievable. And to see it firsthand, eyes on, you know, it's always different when you watch it live and I don't have a bias. I see him just enough in person throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, I see him do damage. He has taken another step that's other worldly. And I say, regardless of what happens, we are seeing him take another step uh, towards absolute greatness. And it's been a pleasure to watch. It's absolutely frightening whenever he touches the puck. That's the takeaway from this series. And when you hear the Calgary flames talk about, you know, what do you got to do to turn things around? They'll talk about finding their game, but in the same breath, they'll also say one guy is beating us, and that's that's a scary thought in itself. Yeah, it's almost like how do you stop a river from running? It's like, well, you stop it, but it's like if the river's going to exist, it's going to go where it goes, and that's almost what it feels like with with McDavid now. And it's this feels like a bit of a weird thing to say because I don't know that Connor McDavid ever had a coming out party. He's been part of our lives since he was, you know, especially living living here in Toronto since he was 15. This guy's been talked up, and even even before then. But it does feel to this me is like different. this, is, this different, is different, right? This is the moment where we're all going. This isn't a special player for now. This this is a special player for all time. And it feels to me like, again, I didn't, if you would have told me Connor McDavid's going to have a coming out party in this playoffs, I would have said, well, who's been living under the rock, but that's what it feels like right now. 
that's exactly what it is. And, you know, you think about those uh, Jordan Bull teams and, uh, you know, the Bulls had to lose and they had to go through some lean years and then all of a sudden it popped. And uh, not to suggest that Michael or Connor wasn't great early on in junior or college, uh, but we are seeing the elite. And uh, I'll tell you, it is, it is just something where you watch his edge work uh, you watch yeah. his strength, and I'm not kidding. He is not a skinny kid anymore. This guy from the waist down is packed, and he is just solid back there. And I watched Zadora off of 250 pounds swimming and hanging off him on that one beautiful goal uh, two games ago, and it was like, oh, my gosh, like, he is hard to move to go along with the fact that none of us can catch him, to go along with the fact that none of us can do what he does. Now he's added the strength to go with the speed. It's, it's really impressive. And uh, that, that is the takeaway regardless of any bias or, or any loyalties. That's just what it is. And you have to, no matter what market you're in, just say, okay, now does he have the best resume? Not yet. No, he doesn't. There's guys with way better resumes. So we're not, I'm not saying this as the argument that everybody weighs in and says, well, he doesn't have Crosby or, you know, he hasn't done what Ovechkin. Uh, I get it. Yeah. This guy just as a player is as lethal as there is. I, I, I'm at an age where from Guy Lafleur up, I can accurately say that. Beyond Guy Lafleur, I can't. Mm-hmm. But those guys were great in their own right. This is just something so frightening at such a level, physical, speed, uh, creativity, making others better. And I'll tell you, the building just – sits up the moment the puck is on his stick and everybody's like, oh, what, what is going to happen? doesn't matter right. what building you're in. You're rising. It's must-see TV. So Too bad we buried him at 10 o'clock in the east. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is sub-awesome, I'll be honest, that, that it's that Well, late, a whole, there's a quick, there's a way around that. You know, if he wanted to make his way a few hours east, oh, and then yeah, we can yeah, get him yeah, in the yeah, 7 yeah. o'clock time. <laughs> the line. ultimate leaf show ask. Yeah, just come play here. I will here. double down just because I'm from Ontario. And Leaf Nation is absolutely bananas. Uh, there is Austin Matthews. Oh, he's very he good. Is, he's elite. Yeah. But he's not where Connor McDavid is. And, no. I'm, and I'm not even sorry to say that. No. He's not. I don't think anyone here and, is watching Connor I'm, going, I'm, yeah, Austin yeah. does that. No, that doesn't happen. Um, and he's lethal. He's dangerous, but he's not Connor. So then what do the Flames do? Ryan, I mean, you've seen this team. <laughs> I know you don't have the answer. You'd be the coach. And even the coach is failing. But, like, now what? You know, I feel like if you get so consumed by one guy and forget mm-hmm. about everything else, like, if you beat the rest of their hockey team bad enough, can you hang in there? Like, th- I don't know. I They're not done. This Calgary Flames team is too good defensively, too good physically. Um, but w- I, I guess what now, what needs to go better for this Flames team to find their way back in the series? Well, you're right, honestly. Like, that's just, that's the million-dollar question. But the truth is, is that the Calgary Flames still haven't played their best game in the series. They haven't no. even found it until last night. You have to feel like, hey, we kept Connor in check. He only had a couple of points. Uh, you know, we tied the game up in the third uh, with a fluke, bizarro world goal. And we really liked our game. And we still didn't win if you're the Calgary Flames. You're sitting there going, oh, now what? Yeah. Uh, now you're in a huge hole. Um, goaltending hasn't been spectacular. Top-line guys haven't exactly been dominant. Depth guys have yet to really appear. Chris Tanev is injured. Um, and, boy, did he look like a broken-down man last night, didn't he, he, on the bench? Is he okay? And, oh, is he going to play just, again? No, he's not okay. <laughs> oh, I see. He's not okay. I thought I heard the MASH theme song playing in the background uh, in between uh, 
whistles. But, uh, you know, it it was sad to watch because he's such a battler, such a warrior. And you could just see where Hyman was around the net. Just maybe let's back it up 15 to 25 seconds prior. Mm -hmm. The play was deep, and you could see Tanev calculating, okay, when if if this is going to hurt, when do I, you know, there was no battle in front. Okay, I got to pick my spot. And then, boom, it's in the back of the net. And he was just, he was just hurting. So uh, he is not okay. I don't know what he would have been shot up with, if anything, but did see him walking down the hall after the game. That's the one where you, as you know, you just kind of look down, hey, hey, (laughs) and you don't really, hey, how you doing? No, you don't. You just stare stare at their shoes. So they pass our place. It it was just tough to watch, and uh, you just don't have an answer, especially when things are going. Now, do I think they can rally and come back in a game? You're darn right, I can. Uh, as far as the series, eh, Connor McDavid, as we've uh, illustrated here, is uh, not going to allow that to happen. Do you feel like that's why? And I don't want to say that Sutter, by any means, is taking it easy on his team or letting him off the hook. But you know, this is a guy who ripped into Johnny Goudreau right before his 500th game in the NHL. Like, it's not exactly like he's always Mister Better Coddle the feelings here. And not that I think he's doing that, but y- you mentioned the tact he he takes, the way he sounds after games. This isn't we absolutely must be better. It's, well, you know, they got one, we got one. It just seems like he's kind of almost, and again, I realize he's coaching. This isn't a man who's actually going through the motions, but it feels that yeah. way. Do you think part of it is he realizes what they're up against as well and know, and knows that he can't kind of push it quite that hard? No, no chance. I think if, I think Daryl, first of all, publicly does the opposite of whatever you think he's going to do. Right. After a loss, this is true. he was incredibly chipper last night. He was cordial he was jovial and i'm sitting there going that's, that's okay sure yeah. i mean he is uh that is the way he is publicly outwardly and when you win 5-1 he's ornery he's bitter he's sour publicly he uh he pushes buttons hard all year and i don't know if you guys have ever had coaches where you know they're hard 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 but he's so smart with his tactical ways that he knows when to put the hammer down and when to ease up on the gas. And so all year of just crushing these guys and then scale it back a little bit in order to get the most out of them. Yeah. It's uh, it's really impressive. It's like hockey, Canada, bring guys over the world, all just teammates, enjoy Europe, have a blast. And we're going to bring your families over two weeks later and you're going to either play guilty, play fun and play hard and you're bonded <laughs> you're together and you're ready to go and then they mop up. But this is like a, a way to, I think, make sure you're getting the most out of these guys. He knows how to do it. And again, publicly and outwardly, we see one thing, but on the inside, it's, it's very different. I think if there's one, one thing that really stands out, it's Daryl's ability to get the most out of every player and recognize who's doing what on any given night. And his bench management is impressive. So, uh, you know, I I don't know really what's going on uh, behind closed doors because they are closed, locked, and sealed. It's really hard these days. But uh, I'll tell you, he's he's going to push every button tomorrow night. Um, he's a proud Albertan. He does not want to lose this series, mm-hmm. and he will not concede, even though he covers his tracks beautifully, saying all year, hey, Vegas and Edmonton were the teams to be, you know, even when they were in the driver's seat early on in the regular season and, and late um, yeah. when Edmonton started to surge. He's always quick to say, hey, remember what I told you, Edmonton's for real. So he puts it out there 
but you know he wants to win this series desperately and will not give up. Yeah, no, I, I was really struck by the tone you mentioned too, that he's kind of walking it back on the team. Like now is not the time to pile on with a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So uh, really savvy stuff. But another thing that stood out to me was he was like uh, something about inexperienced D. We got four inexperienced D. You know, that hasn't been the story of the Flames to me this season. It's been great defense. Third best team in the NHL in goals against per game. Um, you know, we mentioned the physical play and the four checking. That feels like it hasn't come up. I mean, I don't know. What did you make of that comment? Four inexperienced yeah. D. That doesn't well, strike me as the Flames. Well, it's inexperienced in that, you know, they don't have a lot of playoff games under the belt. Uh, he's they're not kids. completely correct. Yeah. But they're not. Well, I mean, you take Tanov out of it, and he has been out of it since game six of the Dallas series. Okay, so what have you got? Well, these are guys who are just now learning to be in these roles. They've had success in, in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But as everybody knows who's listening, uh, the playoffs is a different season. So um, I think this, and he's been very vocal about how they are learning to take another step as a group. There's a lot of guys. He will praise those who have won and been in the battles, but he will also make sure that it's really well known that if you've not done anything, you haven't done anything in this league. If you haven't done it in the postseason, you haven't done it. And... uh you know, I think he has a good way of deflecting um, yeah. that experience and, you know, go elsewhere with it and make those guys uh, battle uh, harder because they've heard what he has said. He knows that he he's using us as a soundboard, and those players are going to hear it, and they're going to feel the, the heat of what he says publicly, and uh, they're going to play for each other. It, it He actually, <laughs> there is a method to the madness, and as a lot of people just hear the little snippets on Instagram or Twitter and, they think, oh, this guy's just tearing apart the media. Everything is calculated, and uh, and some questions are fair and some aren't, but either way, he's going to take it where he wants it to go, and it's a message to the public. It's a message to his team, and I think he's gotten a lot of success with his uh, methods. Yeah, coaching, coaching through the media is such a thing. I mean, we always think about it here because there's so much media, but, I mean, anywhere anywhere you're doing this, I mean, they're they're using you, they're using us because it's such yeah. a powerful tool, right? You know, so much of the talk about this Flames team, yes, it was it was the big boys. It was Kachuk and Goudreau and Lindholm, but a lot of people, myself included, really like the Tyler Toffoli ad. A lot of people love what you were getting out of Mangiapane. And not that those guys have completely disappeared, but five points for each guy, uh, two goals. They're actually both of the exact same stat line. Uh, two goals, three assists uh, through the playoffs. You get both of those guys to score. Do you feel like the Flames have got enough? And I don't want to put it just on those two, but they're the easiest places to kind of point. Have they got enough depth scoring, uh, do you feel? The, pardon me, the, the two being Mangiapane and? Uh, Toffoli. Oh, yeah. No, certainly. Uh, and I wonder if Toffoli, who isn't battling something this time of year, but he doesn't look himself. And certainly the speed out there is enough to expose uh, just about everybody when you get uh, the Oilers' big wheels going. But uh, I got a hunch to Foley's battling something, but he is doing what he can. You know, guys like Dubé are trying. They're just not finding it. Manjapani, who has been you know, 35 goals this year, uh, you need that depth scoring. And um, is it, you know, here we are talking about this, but yet don't forget how many goals were scored in the first two games of this uh, series. It was a full on track meet. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And there were goals of plenty. So, I mean, 15 in the first. So we can go on and on about the offense. But I think most importantly, they are concerned about their defensive game, which, as you mentioned earlier, they're a good defensive team. And the goaltending has been there. And the defense has been there. But in the playoffs, man, it seems as though the offense is uh, is what's killing it. So, And uh, you know what? Mike Smith, as wacky and wonky as that rodeo has been, uh, <laughs> 
they've seen the best of him, and they know, like Brad Living had him in Arizona. They, I mean, he knows he can be all world or he cannot be all world. So sometimes in the same shift. Yeah, well, <laughs> great call. Yeah, <laughs> and and you kind of roll the dice, going, all right, I like our chances, Markstrom, and it just has been one of those things with the Calgary Flames, and I don't know if it's it's certainly not conditioning, it's certainly not. Uh, I mean, everybody's playing with injury. It's just, I think, really. When it's all said and done, you're going to look at this and look back and say, well, it's Connor McDavid's second step towards, you know, going where he's headed. And it's scary for the opposition. Do you, do you got uh, any concerns about Markstrom's ability to figure it out here? Because it, it kind of hinges on this guy making some stops here. It's a big yeah. part of that, that plan, right? Yeah, I mean, such a good goaltender, such a fiery competitor. He had such a consistent year this year. Um this may just be one of those ones where he looks back and, and would say, yeah, I could have been better. I could have stole one. And you're going to need him to steal one. And maybe he does that tomorrow night. It's not over yet, but uh, you need him to be, you know, you need your best players to be your best. He has to be one of them. For sure. All right. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, congrats on getting back to Calgary safely and enjoy the rest of the series. <laughs> it was nuts. I tell you, I walk out of that ring last night, you'd think they'd won the uh, – Grand Prix, Super Bowl, and Stanley <laughs> Cup all at once. It was like a party that you would see on the streets of Rio. It was madness, and uh, they're having a lot of fun up there. They're they're one step away, but we'll see what Calgary has left. Yeah. Thanks for having me, boys. No worries. Anytime. I, I know as a Canadian hockey fan, I hope we get to see it again. I hope we get that. I would love to see it. You, yeah. I mean, uh, pangs of jealousy as well. But yes, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to see it for uh, the people of Edmonton. And look, I mean, one of the like, and Sportsnet. Well, here's the thing. Like one of the <laughs> one of the highlights of the stock price. Yeah, I don't want to go as far as say my youth or whatever. But like as a younger hockey fan, Red Mile is one of the great things we always remember. It. Yeah. I know the Oilers are looking to have a blue orange mile. I don't know what what they, they, they got Moss Park, right? That's right. That's yeah. Uh, that's Not, Moss Park is an arena down the road from here. It's Mo- the Moss Pit. Moss Pit. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're on fire. Have today. you uh, have you played at Moss Park? No, I haven't. I haven't uh, played in like three years. Oh, you. We got a spot on Thursday nights. Um, yeah, I'll Moss, always be scouting. Mo- eh, Moss Park is an arena down at Queen, and is it Queen and Sherborne? I don't know. It's not. In a great spot, not, not but elite. it's once you get past the front doors and the people that hang out in front of the front, it's a great rink, great ice, <laughs> good showers. It's not bad, but uh, Moss Park. But yeah, I feel like a notable uh, Harvey's is around the corner. Yeah, uh, very close. Yeah. Um, this is just one of the fascinating debates, and we kind of talked about it. But like rooting for other Canadian teams, and mostly fans will say, I think it's like a test. If you hear somebody's like, "Oh, I'm rooting for the other Canadian teams," <sighs> that immediately tells me, no, no, like. Listen, I'm not, I don't shame, I don't fan shame people. I don't fan shame people. But like, I will be like, okay. I'm not going to be like, oh, you idiot. I would have if I was in my early 20s. Like, oh, it's but, that but, kind but, of but then immediately I'm like, okay. Got it. I know the conversation we're having. But I will say, I am really enjoying watching Connor McDavid play hockey. Yeah. And I just kind of want to keep doing that. So I guess I am rooting for them. You, you know what it is I like for me? The flames. It, it's You do like the Flames, right? Yeah. Go ahead. This is more interesting than what I was going to say. Well, I, I like the Flames in that, you know, the evolution of how I feel about what a successful hockey team is going to look like. Okay. I thought the NHL was moving in a direction of speed and skill, mm-hmm. and it was just going to be whoever could out-talent the other team once we got away from like all I've the punchy of, stuff. About a team that wanted to build their roster. Yeah, so well, that's part it. of this. And I've kind of gone back to the, like, oh, you can't 
be successful in hockey without the stuff that makes hockey hockey, that Mm -hmm. physical stuff and intimidation. And I don't mean like fighting intimidation. I mean, like you have to go compete against another man for a puck. And if someone comes in at hundred miles an hour and they're three, you know, 240 pounds, it's a little hesitant. It's, it's amazing for inches. It is amazing how anyway, the flames have that lightning quick in the playoffs. You can see it, especially from a team that hasn't been there before. And look, all these guys have played at playoffs of varying levels, be it college or junior or whatever it was different animal in the, in the NHL. And you, it is so amazing for me to see those first few shifts of a guy that's been there a million times before. You know, you think of the the Kalorns and the Palats on Tampa. And not that, again, I don't feel like the Leafs won the first game 5 nothing. It wasn't that they folded. But a player like a Ilya Mikheyev, who's mm-hmm. just never been through this before. Oh, we're, that's how we're playing now. It's almost like when you're like, uh, when you're like, you know, like play fighting with your buddy and he like kind of hits you. And Catch like, you the clean that's, one. <laughs> that's a little more than I thought we were doing, but okay, we're doing that now. And that, yeah. that's to me, what what always kind of jumps out to me, exactly that thing. The reason for me why I am, again, it's not rooting, but it's, I think, and the NHL should be the NHL. I love it for what it is. Mm-hmm. We need a little NBA in the NHL. We do. In and which I'm, way? Because you're right in several ways. Yeah, but in the fact that the best player in the game is putting on a show and he is going to drag his team to a cup final or a conference final. And the most important part of it for me is that we are having a Connor McDavid conversation every single day. And it's not the one I always have of uh, four more years until he's coming to Toronto. It's the one about... Look at how incredibly dominant this guy is. And the Mm. fact that it's one thing when he's doing it in January. And like Ryan said, it's at 10 o'clock and there's half the people that should be watching and watching it. We're all watching this right now. Anyone who cares about the NHL is watching this and seeing this. And again, it's weird to say he's having a coming out party for a guy who's been the super stud from the second he joined the league. But it does feel like that to me. Well, and we've just seen elite players. And here in Toronto, we saw Austin Matthews go up against, you know, the Philip Deneau line mm-hmm. and see how hard it is when one guy focuses on you and says, my goal is to stop that guy. Like, don't for, care about anything no, else. No, if I'm on Montreal, if I can, you know, void Matthews, we don't care what else happens. And that happens in the playoffs, like in a way that it doesn't happen in the mm-hmm. regular season. So to see Calgary, as good as they defend, a team with all the hype about all the forechecking, say, that's the guy we're going to shut down. And McDavid be like, I loved your river analogy. It's like, you can drop a dam yeah. right in front of it. It's just going to pour over the top and go over the sides. And like, he he has seemed inevitable. Yeah, In a way exactly that we, we haven't seen in hockey in a while. He's, you know, my wife came in the room the other day and I was like, watch this. You know, like she's a McDavid highlight. And she's just like, oh. Like, you know, Jesus. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, she can oh, where see. where was that? Yeah. <laughs> where did that come from? Um, yeah, so the most points in a season uh since 96 97 regular season plus playoffs yep number one on the list in 08 09 was evgeny malkin with 149 points prime malkin prime malkin so good yeah Yeah. maybe the best player in the league in his time when Uh, he was on honestly uh then the next is Connor mcdavid at 148 so he's one point back of this man has stacked up 25 (laughs) points in the playoffs and then the next 11 games the next two guys on this list are joe sackick and yarmy auger and he is ahead of those two guys. Oh my god! So this it's is all the time. second round. It's it's the, it's the second <laughs> round. Like we, I think we're all like we're all aware of it. We need to just hammer home. He potentially has what fourteen more games or something yeah. along those he, lines that he, he could play in. He has at least three more. I was actually yep. thinking, you know, let's say get through this round. You know, a couple of games here. They play in the conference final. They go six games in the conference final and lose six, seven games, mm. whatever. 
Could he score enough points to win the Conn Smythe and not make the cup final? I don't Could think hockey, <laughs> hockey, would, hockey would never. No. There is there is no... He's 25 points in 11 games. I know. The second best guy who's not on his line is Kucherov with 15. He's 10 points back. Okay. Okay. By the time you get to That's the end of the third round, McDavid could have a 30-point lead. I, a 20-point lead. I anyway. am not saying you can't give it to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying they will not give it to him. Hockey at large. The guy, I know you can't. The guy I always think of with this, and he ended up trundling down the list, but one of the years the Avs got bounced in the semis or in the second round, Forsberg was still the leading point getter in the playoffs deep into a round beyond the one he had played in. And the fact that there's a world where McDavid could stop playing today and go on to lead the playoffs and not a world, like a very real possibility. It's just, it's it's flabbergasting. I, That's a good one. I, I don't feel like we've used that one too much. We're running out of words. Gas is that a word? Been is that a, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know. That. Uh, I, don't know I kind of forgot what I was going to say because of that. Uh, You're flabbergasted. I should, no, you might I, say. I I do remember now. Colorado Edmonton has potential for just let's go speed. Well, it's also the skill. best chance for like a team like Colorado to thrive. Uh, you know, against mm-hmm. a team where. They're not going to get out muscled by Edmonton. They're, Edmonton's D. I, I got to be honest, boys. Like this, that Edmonton is doing what they're doing right now is because uh, you heard Daryl Sutter mm-hmm. say, "Well, Edmonton has uh, you know a more experienced D core. Yeah. You know, they got experienced guys. They got Duncan Keith, and then it's CC, well, Barry, Darnell Nurse hasn't had any depth runs. Brett Kulak, like." Well, and the thing Duncan about Keith the, has surprised me with the, how good he's looked. Yeah, he's been effective. It's weird because he had the one play, I think this was in the last round, although it might have been early in the Flame series, where he just got absolutely torched out wide. And you're sitting here going, oh, is that what it's been like? It's not been. Like, he no. had the one play that got really highlighted and pinpointed by a lot of people, but he's not been that guy. And again, when you're when you're just able to play a safer game like you are, when you have McDavid in there, it, it allows a guy like that to thrive. Yes, sir, and uh, looking forward to chatting more about that in the back half of the show. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about uh, Colorado-St. Louis. We have Peter Baugh of The Athletic, a beat writer there, so uh, we will talk to him uh, when we get back on Real Gunning in Borenton. (laughs) 